Well, hello, church family. My name is Annie Neufeld. I'm the pastor of small groups here at Lake, and I get to bring God's word to us this morning. Well, if you were alive in the 80s, you will remember a little movie called Indiana Jones. Anyone? There were so, yes, good, lots of hands. Uh, There were several of them today. I wanna start us out by talking about Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. If you don't know already, Indiana Jones, or Indy for short, uh, is a professor of archeology, span but he also goes on all of these treasure hunts. And in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they are treasure hunting for the Holy Grail, the goblet from which Jesus drank from in the Last Supper. As with any good treasure hunt, they meet bad guys who want the goblet for their own nefarious purposes. And in the end of the movie, they find themselves in this strange temple that's filled with magic. They end up in this cave or this, this dark, this room that's filled with goblets and also a knight who guards the goblet. And they have to choose which one is the true holy grail. Their bad guy goes, the bad guy goes first, and he picks out a goblet that is fit for a king. You should see it on the screen. It's shiny, it's gold. He thinks that must be the cup of Christ. He takes a drink of it, drinks, and if you've seen the movie, you've seen this terrible part where he basically decays in front of our very eyes. And then the, the, the knight says, you have chosen poorly. Next, it's Indy's turn, and he looks at all of the goblets in the room, and he picks the dirtiest, most humble cup, and he says, this is the cup of a carpenter. He takes his drink, and he lives, and again, the knight says, you have chosen wisely. Now, believe it or not, I think this blockbuster hit from 1989 um, teaches us a lot about our message of joy today. Sometimes the greatest gift comes in the most humble passages, isn't, or in the most humble packages. Isn't that how joy behaves? In the movie, the treasure of the Holy Grail didn't look shiny, certainly not clean by COVID-19 standards. The treasure came in the form of a dirty, small, unappealing vessel. And as we come to the scriptures today to learn about joy, I think that sometimes we make the same mistake as the bad guy in this movie. We look for joy to come in a shiny gold package fit for a king. We expect that joy will just erupt out of us as good things happen. When we get that shiny new car, uh, when we get that fancy new job, when our family gets along at Christmas. What we'll see today though is that more often than not, joy is less like a shiny goblet that we hang on the mantle at Christmas and more like a humble cup, seasoned and weathered, appropriate for use in good times and in bad. So first, today I wanna take a moment to unwrap joy. What is this gift of joy that's spoken about in the scriptures? Well, the Bible Project says that joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. And it's an expression of celebration and delight that we experience because God loves us so much. Now notice those words. Um, It's not a feeling, though it can be that too. But first, it's an attitude. It's a posture we take. It's an orientation we hold. 
Joy requires discipline, and it does erupt out of us, but not because of happy circumstances. It erupts out of us as the Holy Spirit cultivates the fruit within us. Okay, so that's what joy is, but the bigger picture that I want to, the bigger question that I want to look at today is where do we find joy? What is our source of joy? And I think our passage for, from Isaiah can help us here. So let's set the scene. This is Isaiah 12. Uh, the people of God have disobeyed God. The, the southern kingdom, Judah, has made dirty deals with foreign kings. They have forgotten their covenant with the Lord. They have sinned against God. And so God has punished them. He has sent them into, into exile in Assyria. The big bad nation of Assyria has conquered Judah, and then they have, they have dragged God's people to live in Assyria as exiles. They have been oppressed and mistreated. They have experienced the horror of living in a strange land without their temple, their law. But now there's hope. Assyria is defeated and Judah is returning to her own land. So I'm gonna read these words from Isaiah verses, 12, verses two and three again for you. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation with joy, with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, if we were all good Jews in Isaiah's time, these words would have been very familiar to us, especially verse two. It comes almost directly from Exodus 15 too. If you remember the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel had been enslaved, but Moses led them out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea, and they were delivered from their enemy. They were delivered from slavery. And so Moses rejoices and says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And so when Isaiah quotes these words, in chapter 12, he's, he's beckoning us to see the return from exile as a second exodus, a second moment of deliverance for God's people. Isaiah then continues, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, which again hearkens us back to Exodus 15. The Israelites had been wandering in the desert after being set free from slavery, they're wandering in the desert and they go three days without water. They're scared. They feel stranded and alone. Finally, they come to a, a body of water called Mara, but it's bitter. They can't drink it. So they cry out, what are we gonna do? We're thirsty, we're alone, we're afraid. God tells Moses to take uh, a piece of wood and throw it in the water, and it becomes clean. Eventually, they are led by God to 12 springs of water and to, with, with 70 palm trees. So when Isaiah says in verse three, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, the people of Israel would, ha would have remembered how God provided them for them in the desert when they were scared, when they were stranded, when they were afraid, when they were alone, God provided. God saved them and they had joy. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. When we drink from the wells of salvation, we have great joy. God is the source of our joy. I met Abby 
when she was 12 years old, a middle schooler here at Lake, when I was the middle school pastor here. And um, even then, she was a, a brilliant musician. Um, Abby was a regular 12-year-old girl, still trying to figure out who she was and where she fit in the world around her. But when Abby played music, even at 12, the world stopped. Many of you have experienced her music. It's beautiful. Um, Abby continued studying music through middle school, high school, eventually went away to the University of Michigan for college, got to study under some of the best teachers in her craft. Um, but over time, her hearing had started to deteriorate. And about four years ago, she started having an enormous amount of pain. Her, her, her body was wreaking havoc on her. She went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And finally, she was diagnosed with some autoimmune diseases that are progressive and degenerative. She was heartbroken, devastated, full of anger and doubt and shame. But she didn't stop talking to God about it. She kept talking to God about what was going on in her life with all of those feelings. And here's where she is now. These are her words. Life has its chaotic, unexpected turns. And while it has been devastating, there has been an unparalleled amount of beauty and joy. While the future feels daunting at times, as I come to know and fall in love with Jesus more, I'm finding that that is enough for today. And that's all I need to keep going. Abby has been humbled and robbed of what she thought was her passion, her identity, her calling, her purpose, all by the age of 24. But in the midst of it all, she has found joy. Joy that is steady and calming and totally unreasonable because her joy comes from Jesus. If you do a quick word study on the word joy in the New Testament, you see this over and over again. Knowing Jesus brings great joy. We see in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the end of your result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Knowing Jesus brings us joy. The birth of Jesus brings us joy. The resurrection of Jesus brings great joy. Unity in the body of Christ brings great joy. Margaret Feinstein is a cancer survivor who wrote a book on joy while being treated for cancer. And she says, joy emanates from the abiding sense of God's fierce love for us. Joy comes when we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. But joy also comes when we celebrate the freedom that others have in Christ. Listen to the last couple verses from this passage. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. 
Isaiah tells the people of Israel to, to proclaim his praise because what he has done for them. Joy is contagious. When you experience deep joy, you want others to experience too. You want, you want to re-gift the gift of joy, not because you don't want it, not because it was that white elephant gift, but because it's so good, you can't help but share it. And do you notice here who Isaiah tells, or who Isaiah tells the people of Judah to proclaim God's name to? It's the nations. And do you know who's included in the nations? Assyria, their captor, their oppressor, from whom they have just, just gotten free. Isaiah believes that they get to participate in the joy too. There is enough room at the table for their enemy too. Israel's joy is expansive. It makes room at the table. With joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. We gain deep joy from the living water that's found in God's love. Our bucket is filled to the brim when we know God's love and grace. What does this look like? When we make space in our day and we come before God and we say, God, fill me up. I don't know how I'm gonna have this difficult conversation. I don't know how my family gathering is gonna go. I don't know. Um, how our finances are gonna go, fill me up. We are filled to the brim and we experience joy. When we come to God's word and say, say, I have no idea how to make sense of the world around me. There is stuff happening out there that is so confusing. Fill me up with your word. We are filled with joy. When we live in belonging and connection in vulnerability, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are real with each other, when we take off our figurative masks, keep those real ones on, but when we take off our figurative masks, we are filled with joy. When we participate with God in his, in his work of justice in this world, when we give to the Angel Tree Project, when we tutor kids in stars, when we participate with God in the things that he's doing, we're filled with joy. When we walk along somebody else who's discovering the freedom that they have in Christ, we are filled with joy. With joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. The problem is, church, we don't always drink from the wells of salvation. Instead of doing the hard work of returning to the scriptures over and over and over again, instead of doing the hard work and the discipline of prayer, instead of becoming just as we are, to our community of faith, we drink bitter water. If you remember the story from Exodus 15, the people of Israel were wandering in the desert and they found bitter water and they didn't drink it. They waited for God to transform it, but we, we drink bitter water. We drink from the wells of bitterness. When we allow the people around us to gossip and to grumble and we just drink in their words, we are drinking bitter water. When we use our social media feeds to, to only feed our ego, our anger, our fear, we're just drinking in bitter water. When we, when we simmer in contempt and criticism in our marriages and just keep it all inside and never talk about it, we drink in bitter water. When we stew in jealousy, wanting what other people have, that bigger house, 
a different body, a different spouse. We're drinking in bitter water. When we drink in the glory of being right at all costs, instead of seeking understanding and restoration, we're drinking bitter water. When we spend more time watching our cable news shows than we spend in God's word, we're drinking in bitter water. We drink in all of this poison and then we wonder why our world is so full of hate. Church, are we drinking from God's well of living water or are we drinking in bitterness? Because here's the thing, the scriptures seem to say that our joy in God can fade if we don't continually come back to God's wells, to God's living water, our joy withers. David cries out in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation because he felt like he lost it. He drank from the wells of lust and greed and fear. The descent into bitterness is not just one sweeping fall. It happens with decision after decision after decision that we make to drink in bitter water instead of God's living water. James Clear says in Atomic Habits that every act you take is a vote for the person that you want to become. If we wanna be joyful people, we have to drink from the wells of joy. But instead, we drink bitter water and we become embittered people. But here's the good news, and if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, that that is not the end of the story. Bitter waters from a bitter well are not the end of our story because Jesus drank the bitter water of the cross so that we might drink in the living waters of of God's salvation. We don't have to drink bitter water anymore. We don't have to drink in fear anymore and worry anymore and resentment and addiction anymore because God drank from the wells of bitterness so that we could be set free. Jesus became one of us. That's what we're celebrating here, right? Jesus died on a cross as a final statement saying, you are loved beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. You belong here. There is room for you at this table and I want you to be part of my family. Joy comes from knowing that we are loved with all of our mess and with all of our shame. When we believe that Jesus has died on the cross and has set us free from sin and death, then joy is possible in any circumstance. So we don't have to be afraid of pain and suffering and disappointment any longer because Jesus is with us We are not alone. Yes, amen to that. The other day I was um, going out of the parking lot from my mops group and one of the moms um, stopped me and she said, are you okay? Seems like something's going on here. Now, I was wearing a literal mask and a figurative mask, but I was caught in my vulnerability and um, I didn't want to talk about it, but I said, yes, I'm sad. I'm sad about the loss of Jeff. I'm sad about this pandemic. I don't want to feel sad, and I'm trying to keep those feelings at bay, but I do. Later she said, "Um, I saw something in you that was sad. 
and it felt familiar. Her knowing question, her her familiarity with her own wilderness, brokenness, sadness, that it opened up something in me to feel some of the grief that I had been keeping at bay. And I let it in and it came and it came, but do you know what else came when I felt the sadness? Strangely, I also felt joy because that's the paradox of joy, isn't it? Sometimes we cannot access all that God has for us, all the joy he has for us if we don't also feel the pain and sadness. Margaret Feinstein helps us here again. Sometimes you need to give room for grief in order to make space for joy. Joy comes when we feel the depth of our own need for God. When we say, God, I am desperate. I am not gonna be able to do this without you. And then he comes and we experience his freedom and healing. So what's next? What happens when we access this joy, when we recognize the joy, when we drink in God's living water? Each week we've talked about four effects of the gift of God. First we talked about the effect of hope and we talked about the effect of peace and now uh, the effect of joy. Here's what happens when we experience joy from God. First, joy brings balance. Paul writes to a letter to the Philippians from prison. So he is in prison, he's in chains as he says these words. He says, rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. Later he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. Paul shows us through his letters and through his life that when we have joy, when we rejoice, our life has a, has a calm and a steadiness and a balance. Second, joy creates hospitality. Joy longs for the other to be joyful. When we experience deep joy, we don't want it just for ourselves. Joy makes more room at the table and invites others in. Third, joy is fuel. I love this. Uh, Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hebrews 12.2 says, for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Joy fueled Jesus to go through the humiliating and and painful work of the cross. Gary Hagan runs the International Justice Mission, which is an organization that protects women and children from trafficking and slavery. He does really hard work in really hard places. And in a recent interview, he said, joy is oxygen for doing hard things. Joy is what powers people for sacrifice and service. It's not some dainty piece, some, some sort of dainty goblet we hang on the mantle. Joy has grit and teeth. Joy is fuel. And last, joy brings fulfillment. If we are filled up with the living waters of God's grace and love, we don't have to go back to that addiction any longer to feel alive. We don't have to monitor our social media feeds to make sure that we belong and we have a place in this world. We don't need that new car to get a dopamine rush because we are full of God's love and we have great joy. I wanna finish where we started. Um, 
There's some beautiful boxes here. If I were to unwrap joy, which one would I choose? I'm gonna say this one. I had my three-year-old wrap this. There's a Kleenex box somewhere in there. She kept saying, I need more tape. I need more tape. (laughs) I think this is a good picture for us though of what joy is because joy is weathered. It doesn't happen just in happy circumstances or when we feel like we're all put together. It happens even if the paper is ripped and torn and put back together again. It's found in hard conversations, in humility, in apologies, in grief, in disappointment. It's found as we come with our full selves humble and real, and we ask God to save us over and over and over again. And once we've opened the gift, we can't help but give it away. As our worship team comes up, I wanna close with a moment of listening prayer. We're gonna spend just a few moments in some conversation with God, and and during this time, I wanna invite you to give yourself the gift of powering down. Um, I know I have a a ticker of all the to-do lists that have to happen before Christmas, but let's just take a few moments and hear what God might have for us this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you that you drank in the bitter water of the cross so that we might drink in the living waters of your love. Lord, today we confess that instead of soaking in your freedom and grace, we drink bitter waters. So we come before you in this moment to ask, what is that bitter water that we have been drinking? Is it our media that we take in, our social media, maybe from the grumbling and the gossiping that we ourselves do or that we allow others to do? Maybe from our own contempt, our own jealousy, our own pride stirring within us. What is the bitter water that we have been drinking? Speak to us, Lord. that you have made us whole, that you have given us a new life. Lord, this morning we ask that you show us the wells of salvation in our own lives, perhaps our time alone with you, perhaps as we participate with you in your mission in this world, perhaps with being with others who also rejoice in you. Lord, show us those wells and show us how we need to reorient our lives so that we might drink from these wells more often. Lord, speak to us.
us, Lord, to whom do you want us to bring joy? Where do we need to give it away freely? Who are the people that we might deem the other who need good tidings of great joy? Show us where you want us to go. Jesus, Lord, we thank you that we are not alone and we do not have to be afraid. Pain and suffering, trauma and conflict, all of it, you know it and you love us in it and you are with us. You are Emmanuel with us in it. Give us eyes to see the wells of salvation in the world around us and keep us, Lord, protect us from bitterness. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.